Welcome to the new game, Bullshit. So, all right, so we're not going to shut the door. We'll let people trickle in. Um, I'm Jeffrey Wittenhagen. Uh, I'm an author. They, they were calling me a gaming historian, and then last weekend I felt bad because real gaming historians were there. Um, <laughs> and basically I'm like, no, I'm telling the, our history. I'm doing history from a different perspective in some of my books. It's more like our stories of collecting back in the day instead of retelling all the history of the factoids of what happened back in the day. It's like, no, when I was playing, I would rent the games at, you know, Custom Top and Video Shop in a random podunk Indiana town that I grew up in and all this stuff, like my own personal experiences. And then some people grow parallels or um, one guy for the Super Nintendo book would do like a, I went to a Mortal Monday and my experiences with the Mortal Kombat, you know, the whole atmosphere at the time and the hype and all of that. Right. So so I have eight books published right now. My newest book is NES Oddities and the Homebrew Revolution, which might be, you know, centered around the panel today. Um, pretty cool, though. And we're going to be talking a little bit about NES games you probably haven't heard of. And, you know, he said he wants me to go really obscure. But we're going to start easy. And then we'll go more and more obscure as it goes on. Because I actually had, um, I do a a podcast called Video Game Bullshit where we BS about video games and literally one of our uh, listeners piped in with some licensed games that are underappreciated and if I can remember them all we're going to talk about a few and just you know talk about why they're kind of underappreciated and those are licensed so those will be the easy ones and then we'll go down the deep dark path of the Famicom games and homebrew games and I, the thing is, is that when I did the research of this book, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to throw in the homebrew games because I collect homebrew. And, you know, it'll be pretty easy to get the 100 games that are, you know, were released. It ended up being 580 games. <laughs> so it's like, it's insane. And so this book is like, it got ridiculously up to 500 pages when I was literally going to do like a little, oh, yeah, I worked on the PAL exclusives and the unlicensed for, as a follow-up to my complete NES book that I just concentrated on license and then it grew into this massive beast that you see before you. <laughs> it's now a weapon. It's now a yeah, weapon. Yeah. You literally can sit there and do tricep presses. And <laughs> like, it's like ridiculous. So um, that's a little bit about me. Everything I have is on HagensAlley.com. I try to keep it easy. All my books I take to Kickstarter and I do crowdfunding to see how big I can do the print run and grow my company. And basically what I do is I offer opportunities to everybody that supports to write in the books, to contribute their stories, because it's books are about our history, and I do this as a passionate hobby. Like, this isn't my full-time job, this is what I do on the side, and I've had like seven books published in the last two years. My first book was published a while ago. Um, and I've been writing in the community for over 20 years. So I've been I had websites, all that crazy stuff, you know, when I was back in college and all that. Everybody did their own little sites and wrote about scary movies and video games on and off all the time for the last 20 years. And it just so happened that when I found this crazy Garbage Pail Kids artist for my N Nintendo book, it went boom. <laughs> As you know, they say, right. don't judge a book by its cover, but everybody <laughs> judges a book by its cover. <laughs> like, it's like, really? That's ridiculous. True. It's really cool, sure. though. So that's me. Now we got the guests that I bring on the panel. I always bring somebody on that's different because I record all these for VGBS. 
and they're all in the live section. So, who do we have here? <laughs> I'm Steve DeLuca. Um, I am the, uh, I guess, creator or inventor of the Goofy Foot Controller. Um, I currently have a Kickstarter up now, mm -hmm. but what the Goofy Foot Controller is, is the controller we all love, but with the D-pad on the most dominant hand, the right hand, for me at least. Um, I created it to be a better Tetris player. I'm terrible still, but I was hoping, you know, it got my game a little bit better, but, you know, I'm right-handed, we all text with our right thumb, and a couple years ago when I was at Portland watching the World Championship, it clicked, like, what am I doing? Like, it's all about my right thumb, so I went home, and, and you know, I'm an electronic engineer, I popped one open and messed around with it, and bam, I had a controller, I sent it to a couple of my buddies, and, you know, they talked me into, like, making more, and then this guy, you know, he's all over Kickstarter. I was like, dude, this could be done. I could do a stupid video. And I did a stupid video, you know, and got my Kickstarter up. Um, you know, the first one fell a little short, but I relaunched it. I got a new, like, streamlined plan and a new funny video and yeah. trying to change things up, you know, like... So, so the goofy foot is a play on skateboarding, right? Cause, cause right. You, when skateboarding. You, normally you ride one way, like left forward, right? And then left forward, and right. And then you, goofy foot is when you just when literally you, do right. the opposite way. You put your right foot in yeah. front of the board. Right. So it's interesting. So you made specifically for Tetris. Uh, have you found any games that like are really weird to freaking play with the D-pad on the right side? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, all of them. You know, <laughs> yeah, but all it, of them. There's a, what are some it, of your It's definitely ones? a transition. You know, like. I, you know, I've been playing a lot of Punch Out with it, which, you know, it's gotta be evil. No, it's actually not, you no? know, because you just you get that rhythm going, you know. So if, if you get, because you're gonna have a tournament this weekend, right? Like they right. just set it up today with Hal right. over at the Retro World Series. Over here. Mm -hmm. So if you get Punch Out on there, I actually have the world record against Gabby <laughs> J. That's, I mean, that's why I got Twin Galaxies recognized, where I met Joe Simcoe to do my cover. <laughs> right. Like I'll, I'll, I'll play it. Okay, that'd be awesome. If, huh? if I bite the <laughs> dust and all that, it'd be hilarious. Because I'll definitely play it. It'd be yeah. funny as shit. I mean, <laughs> once you know the the D pad's so iconic. And as soon as your finger touches it, you know it's there. Yeah. You don't pull it off like you do the other button. So it's there, and you're on it. You know. So the transition isn't as crazy as you think it is. The the weird part is the A and B button. And for the new Kickstarter, I actually put a switch inside because the configuration of the B A gets awkward because our thumbs are mirrored. So to roll you know, hold the B down and then, you know, hit the A to jump in, like, Super Mario World. It's really awkward. Let's watch everybody die in Mario World. Yeah, so I have a switch on there, so it's <laughs> one right you can do it, an A-B configuration also, so, um, you know, not many controllers allow you, especially Nintendo, allow you to switch up, nice. you know, the action buttons, I call them. So... So cool, man. So let's get an obscure. So Super Mario Brothers. Nobody's heard of it, right? Nope. <laughs> All right. No, we're good. Done. Panel over. No. First one. <laughs> so, so what I want to do is one of our listeners, he sent us 10 games. I'm going to go over a few of the favorites. And they're obscure and hidden gems, but they're not necessarily... I bet he's heard of them. <laughs> so, so a few of them are interesting, though, because like I know them. But um, like... I've heard of them, you see the boxes, and it's like, oh, that's a really good game. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. And a few of them I have some extra stories for that correlate with the book where they have Famicom versions that are sequels and things. So, really interesting. So the first one I want to talk about, it's called Puznik. 
You heard of Puznik? It's a licensed game for the NES. And have you heard of Puznik? I haven't. Right off the anybody bat, heard of Puznik? <laughs> I got one. We got two. So what do you know about Puznik? And if you sound off, it'll pick up your voice. No problem on the thing. Uh, I honestly, I own a copy. Yeah. And I've played it a few times, but I'll be honest with you, it's, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> so the thing mm-hmm. is with, with Puznik is that if you look at the box, it's literally a couple squares. It looks like one of those 90s artwork that you would see like out of a Cali, uh, Cali artist, like one of those classics. And it's like so minimalistic that it looks like, oh, this is like a, a garbage puzzle game. And you see, if you see the Famicom box and the PAL box, it's literally this cartoon, awesome-looking thing. It's like, oh, I want to play that game. Like, but it's it's like the marketing was really bad with Puznik. Mm-hmm. But every single level has its own little shapes that shape your play field. And the idea is to eliminate all the blocks from each one. So it's not like a falling block puzzle game that it looks like from the box art. It's literally a puzzle game. Which is really cool. So it's one of those that's a brain teaser. It gets really hard, really fast. But that one was a really cool one that they mentioned. So when I, when we read Puznik, we're like, oh, man, this is going to be a really cool list. Mm-hmm. Because there's literally a bunch of little gems in there. Um, the next one, Flying Warriors. Heard of Flying Warriors? Seen it. Got a couple nods. Never played. So Flying Warriors is the follow-up to Flying Dragon, the Secret Scroll. Okay. Now the interesting aspect is, and if you know, is that there's this Japanese series. It's like Haru Ryoken, and that's Flying Dragon is one. Flying and Haru Ryoken. I'm gonna mess it up a million times. Um, Peacement Places. That was yeah. <laughs> classic. Uh, there's a meme about me from the Tetris World Championships that I did with Chris Tang, who's running around here. Right? <laughs> I said the same placement of pieces. I said Peacement Places. Like <laughs> I got a whole like thing. neck and neck, <laughs> neck and neck. Um, so part two and part three of that series, though. We're both cut into Flying Warriors, and then they added the crazy multiple character, like superhero aspect to it. And so this series, it's a four-part series, though. And then there's a fourth one that's called the, it's like the fighting game version. So it, like you have these action, it's an action platforming game, just like Flying Dragon Secret Scroll. But then you get to these boss battles, and it's literally a complex series that you can like block with uppercuts and you can block kicks and you can do all this like it's almost like an MMA style game there's like pro wrestling rings on some of the boss battles and Whoa. it's a really cool thing another little known fact uh, you know being the I also have a Super Nintendo book that's out and it's been out of print unfortunately um, Ultimate Fighter on the Super Nintendo is the follow up to that series which is crazy and like if you look at the main character in Ultimate Fighter you're Ryu is the same character that's in the Flying Warriors game. It's really crazy. So it's like one of those things where that game is kind of obscure and it correlates to other games that, like Ultimate Fire looks like a cheap Street Fighter ripoff, but really it's a follow-up to a Femicom game that was before Street Fighter. Really crazy. So it's like ingrained in the history of gaming a little bit. We're gonna see people disappear and then come back with, like, with smiles. Yeah, flying warriors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got, got that ultimate fighter now. And that is a terrible box art too. It like literally looks like a dude on the front. It's like ultimate fighter. And it's just like the flying warriors is pretty obscure as it is. I think it's a little pricey. Right. Um, so so those are a couple of the ten that they mentioned. Another one was Mendel Palace, mm-hmm. and I remember always seeing that. And I rented it a couple times uh, at the rental stores back in the day. 
and it's just a pretty obscure. And they're all like underappreciated. Nobody's really doing a review on these games. Hmm? I love the box art on that one. And that one, the box art's really cool. Um, the gameplay's a little odd because you know it's the overhead aspect to the game, um, and it's it's a little puzzle based, a little puzzle based. Um, I, I do enjoy my puzzle games, but a lot of that when I was younger, I didn't really connect with me as much as they do now. Mm-hmm. So, you got any yet that have hit your head for obscure? Because I, before I go really deep down the rabbit hole, I mean, <laughs> I feel like one game. I mean, it's not even obscure, but mm-hmm. Mighty Bomb Jack, nobody ever talks about that game. And, sure. You know, like, that's one of those games that mm-hmm. has followed me since I was a kid. You know, it's like that game where you only get, like, one, two games every year, so you just hum on it for, and that was one game when mm-hmm. I was, you know, like, nine or whatever. And I'd forgotten about it, you know, through the college years and going back, you know, like, ten years ago, and I was looking, I was like, oh, and I put it in, you know, I remember getting goosebumps. Like, dude, I completely forgot about this game. You know, it's... So, so, so I actually have one, and it goes really deep down, and it actually correlates with, with the panel topic. So there's this game I played, and there was, like, this music. And it had this, like, his jumping for the sound effects. like... And then the music... And it would be like... And I'm not a singer, but like that was the theme, and I knew about it. I could never remember it. I would ask people about the the actual game, like, "Hey, what is this?" Like, I would ask people, like, um, "Have you heard of it?" Here's the here's the synopsis of it, and I would literally figure it out, like try to figure it out. And then, um, so I've talked about it. I have an article on Hagen's Alley. Um, my favorite thing is I have a hacked Xbox that has coin ops on it, and it has every arcade game on it, so you can play it emulated on a PVN. Looks amazing. But so coin ops has this thing where it has videos, and the videos go through. And it, it literally will like loop it through like trailers really quick, and then I heard the sound. I heard it, oh, and it, so it's this game called in the arcades. It was called Pyros. Um, it's called Wardner on the coin ops, and it was released. There's a Genesis port I found out about, and there's a Famicom port called Wardner No Mori. Whoa! And literally, the game is a platforming game. Uh, you're like this little wizard-looking guy. He shoots these, like, fireballs, and they have this weird little arc, like, big putts, little arc putts. And it works really well in the arcades. On the Famicom one, it kind of translates into it. But, like, literally, that was, like, the same thing, where I got the goosebumps. I'm like, oh, my God. I forgot about, like, this. Because I was asking people for years on this game, and then nobody could figure it out. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, Eureka. And so now I have it on the Famicom. I got it on the Jet. Genesis Sports terrible. Where, oh do you th- where did you think you originally played it? So I thought I, I had no clue, but I I found out I originally played it at a local restaurant. It was called okay. Toad's the Other Place in Podunk, Indiana, and it was they literally had a few arcades. They had Capcom Bowling in it, and hmm. they had Pyros. Whoa. And the thing was, is I saw the warden. I'm like that. I don't know that game. And I looked it up on online. And I'm like, oh, it's called Pyros. That. And I saw the art, and I'm like, oh, the artwork like completely hits. Yeah. And the thing is, though, the game's pretty solid on the Famicom. It's really cool. And did you hear about that one before? That's a, yeah, it's a decent one. Good, good. Yes, got to go more obscure. And I will. <laughs> <laughs> but but that was a cool one because it correlated with you know your your story with Mighty Bomb Jack is like mm-hmm. there's literally a, a cross with 
childhood nostalgia and then these games. And I figure, like, I watch my daughter playing games and stuff, and she's doing other stuff while she's doing things. So it's one of those where our mind is doing multiple things at a time. You right. kind of don't cross the cross the streams. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like with our family home videos, you know, Dumbo on our cassette tape, mm-hmm. and then after, right after Dumbo ends, it, it fades out, and then Jason's sitting on top of the camper from Part Six, <laughs> murdering people. I'm like, no wonder why my horror movie tattoo is giant on my leg. Like I'm, I'm obsessed with scary movies. Like I was just like it was ingrained as a child yeah. on that stuff. It's like the little things that you don't know that pull your brain in, which is really cool. Right? Yeah. Like <laughs> it triggers something that just hasn't been unlocked for so long. So has anybody thought of one you could try to stump us with? Go ahead and raise your hand, and you can go ahead and speak up, and you'll be on the the the, uh, the podcast as well. Because I mean, we're we're gonna go jump into it. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit more family, and we'll talk a couple pal exclusives, and then I'll go into the really crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> so. If you want me to go to one that you might not have heard of, I can I can jump into one real quick just as a teaser. Um, have you heard of Crime Busters? Yep. You have, yes. So Crime Busters is a light gun game that was released only in Brazil. It's the only Brazilian exclusive release on the Nintendo. There are no images of it online, by the right. way. Um, there's one in my book that I have, but it's it's literally only in a sleeve. It's I've never even seen a copy. <laughs> yeah, no. And the thing is, it's really obscure. You have to go down to South America to find one in Brazil, probably at a yard sale or free market, flea market or something. Like it's really tough to find that stuff. And because of the Sega Master System, which like was literally released in Brazil all the way up to like a few years back, they were still releasing new stuff on the uh, the master system mm-hmm. like that scene like they've kind of overvalued their games now too it's hard to pick up any tech toy release uh, Sega stuff out there now too Crime Busters it uses um, like a weird mapper too right that's why you just don't see any repros out there yeah it uses a weird mapper and I don't even know if many emulators can play it correctly right. either so yeah it's, uh, it's that's a hidden, hidden gem you can't even play you know, yeah like, that's like pretty... said, I've only heard of it I mm-hmm. have not actually awesome. seen anything yeah, so I do have coverage of it of what I've played. So I did find one emulator that works, in. and it's it's a it's a unique game for sure. Um, I don't want to say it's like a hidden gem or anything, but the fact is, if you want a new NES experience, they're out there. Right. Like this stuff is is insane. Not and even including the homebrew. Not even including the homebrews, right. which I mean, once I go to that, I'll find some that people haven't heard of because only I know of it. <laughs> <laughs> the programmer's like, oh yeah, I'm working on this one too. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, yeah, yeah. they say I could talk about oh, it, but cool. they're like, oh, yeah, like some yeah, of them have cool. released like screenshots and stuff now, a screenshot, and I've played the demos of them, and that's one of the cool things of being ingrained in building this is mm-hmm. like, I, I actually, so when I developed it, I was, I started to research, and I'm like, well, crap, what if this guy who made Battle Kid Fortress of Peril, which is like the first major NES homebrew game that rivaled something that was released on the NES back in the day. Um, what if that guy was working on something before it that he just didn't tell anybody about and then all of a sudden he's like dude what the hell's wrong with your book you don't have this game in it that I released and didn't talk about it ever online had to just come out <laughs> with the best game just yeah. right off the bat you yeah. gotta practice right yeah everybody right. practices so I mean there's a digital section in there where I covered every single thing that's available online and where to find them so people can play them download them and enjoy new experiences mm-hmm. but it's like what about stuff that we don't know that isn't available right what about stuff that was on a form that's been deleted Right. Wow. Like there are those. Wow. And then there was this whole thing out have you ever heard of Le Dumb Dare, the gaming competition? 
I don't say I know I've never heard of that one. So, yeah, I didn't know about it either. Apparently there's these gaming competitions where people program games and there's retro themed ones. And there's Nintendo games that were released with those. And they're not tagged Nintendo at all. So I had to go through every single game ever released. And they're at, they're at like 40 or 50 competitions. I had to go through every single one to make sure there weren't any NES games I wasn't tracking. Wow. And so I, I found a ton. They're only digital released. I don't think any of them were put physically on a cartridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is within this book here, like certain games, like parts are cheap now. Right. So they could put out a digital-only game and put out a small cart release run, and then you know it would fit in different categories. Some games fit in multiple categories, like there's a limited edition release of this plus this plus mm-hmm. that. And it's just, that's the art of it and why I enjoy the homebrew scene is yeah. because it's really fun. Like, right now there's a limited edition auction for a game called Tailgate Party. Have you heard of Tailgate Party? Nope. Yes! <laughs> no, it's a homebrew though, so homebrew's cheating in my opinion. But <laughs> Well, like I said, if you, if, you, if you knew Warner, I'm like, oh uh, yeah, I'm not going to get this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Warner's a classic. Um, but so Tailgate Party is a, it's an awesome one. So like, you know, Steve's over here doing a uh, goofy foot where he's changing the, the, the concept of how you can play an NES in a unique way and giving a new gaming experience. That's literally what you're doing here, which is cool. It's something new, something different. Nobody's done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they're doing with Tailgate Party is, it is a homebrew game. It rivals something that was released. But have you ever played Cornhole? It's that on the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And he uses the power pad. And you put the power pad over, like say we had it right there, you put the power pad, you throw the bean bags on there. Now there's multiple, there's multiple spots on the power pad. So it's literally cornhole to the next level because you get scores based upon where you hit on the board on the power pad. Yeah. It's cornhole to the 16th house. It is, it is yeah. rad. It is. Yeah, and, and not only did he do this, it's not just a mini game of you being able to do this. He made a whole story mode where you interact with characters that challenge you the cornhole yeah. and like you're going versus this granny for the first one she's your yeah. last Joe and like, it's, she's, she's like come on Sonny let's play some cornhole like, and it's just like hilarious and so you can play versus people you can play you know versus the computer and I always say the computer's cheating because yeah. like they can't miss it's the computer yeah, they, they whatever they want we want to see the throw but it's, it, what's cool is it's a unique thing that uses the power pad in a brand new way um, of course, for him to sell that, that's ridiculous, because number one, shipping cornhole bags would be a nightmare. And number two is, you have to have a power pad to play it. So imagine how many people not only know that bought homebrews, but then collect homebrews, and have a power pad. And it's like all these things that line up, and it's a really, really cool game. But I'm like, man, so many people just don't know about it. Right. And then when they do, it's like, it's a hard sell. Now, of course, I'm getting it because I'm obsessive. But <laughs> and I bid on the limited edition auction that he has because the limited edition auction comes with the bags. It com- he actually cut a hole in the cartridge to simulate a cornhole bowl board, and then he sealed it in. And he has these little bags that you can put into the hole. Like you literally like elevate the cartridge and play a cornhole with the cartridge. <laughs> like I was saying, what someone couldn't just make their own bean bags, toss that. No, you no you can. And so what he did was is where he bought the bags at. He had, he just let you know what the site is so you can get the bags made and it's way cheaper for you that way too so that way he doesn't have to pay the ridiculous amount of shipping you can get the bags for exactly what he pays for what he would charge anyways and it, you got them 
and they're literally red and bat, red and black bags. I mean, it's such a great game for collectors because people do have power pads, mm -hmm. and they are like in that section of your closet. You're like, okay, that's where like the stuff is. Like, yeah. If somebody asks about it, I can pull it out. But now they like have a reason to pull it out. And, yeah. You know, and then get like you know my daughter anything I can get her interested in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something like that. You're throwing stuff, and you know, it's interactive, and it's on the NES. Like, win-win. And I literally need to have that uh, that game so I can start playing it too. Yeah, like, I just want it so I can start playing because it's like it's a really cool idea. And um, yeah, you can mm -hmm. usually make like a ski ball type game, like a game like that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, like the, you know, like what I'm trying to do is break the mold and get other people thinking. Dude, don't break your mold. Well, you, well not my mold, but the mold, you know? <laughs> break the mold. <laughs> Trying to get, you know, he's doing the same thing, and, you know, he might spark, like, what you're saying. Like, now, this guy might go home and make a skee-ball game, you know? That would be amazing. That would be amazing. So, so the key is now, is what we got to spark his mind is, is you need to get with some kind of home creator to make something specifically for yeah, Goofy Foot. To make it like, hey, this game is made for it to utilize it. You know, I know guys that have made Tetris clones and things, but mm -hmm. like, look at a different style. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? Like um, Skate or Die Three or something. <laughs> the NES version of Ollie Ollie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be amazing. Be cool. And I mean, I, I know a bunch of talented programmers, and it's, you never know, man. You never know until you ask. I mean, anything. You know, my whole goal is just to spark creativity. So yep. yeah, that would be. Just to give somebody an idea that they can run with. So, so let's continue down the obscure peripheral usage. Mm -hmm. um, so, one, another homebrew. Have you heard of Super Russian Roulette? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Has anybody heard of Super Russian Roulette? You gotta have a few people because that yeah. was viral. Totally. So, this is one of my buddies, An Andrew Rotano. It's Bat Lab, Batsley Adams on uh, Twitter. And this guy is crazy. He may He's amazingly crazy, too. He's that kind of crazy that's like genius. His hair says it all. His <laughs> hair says it all. You look at him, he has this bushy hair. Like, he came over and, like, at Magfest, he was hanging out that's and he cool. just, like, set up this whole cowboy station. And it's insane. Yeah. So, super Russian roulette. And this is the same guy that created a peripheral. That's literally a breathalyzer. And it's called drunkness. Yeah. <laughs> and there's only one that he created. And not only did he make it to do your BADH, but you compete with your friends to see who's drunker and you can win. <laughs> like, like, I was like, oh, that's dangerous. She's like, yeah, I'm not mass producing that. Like, there's no way. Like, I was like, that's such a bad thing. Like, and so that's actually a game that's only yeah. one of a kind. <laughs> that's another obscure one. But uh, so Super Russian Roulette. It um it's it's obviously you're playing Russian roulette with the NES Zapper, which means it's the only compatible Zapper game with HD TVs. Yeah, because <laughs> you're just going like this. <laughs> so the cool thing is though is that he programmed his own unique mapper set and it has voice acting. So there's a cowboy on the screen and then you can play with like two other buddies or three other buddies mm -hmm. and you all pass around the zapper and you can press the, you press the D-pad and then you, you press the D-pad and you spin the chamber to see if you know and then you, you pull the click. And if you do it or not, the whole time while you're waiting, it's like doof, doof. Yeah, and and then the cowboy goes, "What are you? Are you scared?" He's yeah. talking snap the whole time, and it's a cartoon dude. Looks like he's from like Mike Tyson's Punch Out or uh, the. You remember the arm wrestling on the arcade from Nintendo? Yeah. He looks like those guys, like the cowboy from that. 
And so it's like he's literally like, "You scared?" Yeah, <laughs> like talking smack the whole time. When it's his turn, they like do a close up on his eye, and it's like doing that twitch. Like, <laughs> it always reminded me of that, like that old laser tag yeah. commercial where they showed a guy, and it's like his like face is really twitching. You know, and it's, and it's like, like a good, the bad, and the ugly style thing yeah, where they're showing like each person really like sweating. dramatically, yeah. and like he hit every single nostalgic. Itch he did with that. Like it was like perfect, and it has like. Over forty or something phrases, different unique phrases. Yeah, right? tons of unique phrases, and like it's so fun. And then of course, when you get when you actually get killed uh, in the game, you got to take a shot. So you yeah. made it into a drinking game because that's what that's what Batsley does. Like he's really crazy. Um, and then of course, if you play it on a CRT like a PVM or, or a normal CRT, you can actually like he'll have a teddy bear on the screen, you can shoot the teddy bear, and then it'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> like, shoot you. Or if you think you know you have the bullet. You can pull it on him and try to kill him, but if you don't, he'll kill you. So it's like it's a cool like risk versus reward. Like you know you're about to have that bullet. Like it's it's insane. It does set up like one of the most awkward atmospheres that any other NES game does, <laughs> especially when the cowboy shoots himself and it's just like you and your buddy. Like okay, here we are. Like, <laughs> like we're shooting zappers at our head. <laughs> Yeah, there was some, there was there's two other games, and it's in the book. that are just called Russian Roulette mm-hmm. too. So other people have done it, but one guy uh, mimicked it off of scenes from The Deer Hunter. Yeah, <laughs> so I literally did that. Yeah. The other one's just text based only. Right. So, but this guy took it and made it like something that you would have seen on the NES, which is what's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And so the hardest part, if anybody gets into homebrew collecting, for me too, is that there's. Eight five hundred eighty games, and it's literally like I explained to us to Steve before too, and other people is not everybody's Leonardo da Vinci. So like, if you want to make a game that's awesome, that's great, and it, it, it may be just a pong clone, but that's still cool because it's going to take a crap ton of time to learn assembly to program an NES game that plays on the NES. That's why people use the Game Maker and just put them up on Steam. It's right. way easier, way streamlined. There's tools out there. There's help. Uh, and unfortunately, the NES has help. Those mm-hmm. guys making the TurboGrafx-16 game out there, Henshin Engine, that, everybody heard of that? Like, yeah, they're out there. Yeah. Like, that, that right there, they're programming for the TurboGrafx like they programmed back in the day on the TurboGrafx. The other TurboGrafx homebrew games were, like, created in, like, Unity and ported over. They're actually coding it. And I'm like... Oh, well, I gotta get an interview when I do a turbo book with you guys. Cause I want to know what what the heck's wrong with you guys. No, <laughs> no yeah, like, yeah. They, they was telling me the the guys were up till four o'clock last night Doing programming it to get a, like a better version of what they have here. So whatever you're playing now, they finished last night at four o'clock. They just did know? a new build. Like, yeah, and it's insane. And I was playing it this morning, and you know I played it last year because they were here. Okay. Yeah, and they've gotten so far with what they had. You know, a year ago, it's yeah. insane. Like, it's it's almost not even the same game. It's like, whoa, dude. And and they are doing a Nintendo port, like they will yeah. once they once they. But they're gonna do unlike what um what they're doing with Sydney Hunter, where they're actually working on all the versions for every console apparently imaginable. At the same time, right. um, they're actually gonna release the Turbo one first, and then go mm-hmm. to the Nintendo one, and they're gonna have a different programmer working on it so they don't cross the streams too. Yeah, they're but they're like art focus and everything is to get this game done, and they're gonna move on to the next. Yeah, and then but everybody does their thing differently. Right. So I mean, so you've obviously heard of Meteor Swarm, Swarm right, on the homebrew because I mean it's Collector Visions. John, you know, Gamester runs this, this shindig, and Sydney Hunter. Um, so, the next one, have you heard of Black Box Challenge? 
<laughs> that one's mine. Yeah. So um, Sly Dog Studios got with me. So when I did my complete NES book, which was a Nintendo licensed book that I did, um, I was like, well, what if I associate with the homebrew game? I was like, so I went to the guys that I knew that were making homebrews. I'm like, you got anything that you're ready to associate that's already done? What do you got? And I'm like, everybody's like, oh, no, I just released something or I'm, I'm way too far off and all this. And then I get with Sly Dog and they're like, well, what if we create an RPG where you collect video games? <laughs> Boom. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll call it Jeffrey Wittenhagen's Black Box Challenge. You know, kind of like Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. Yeah. And I'm like, what? like Mike Tyson's Punch Out? He's like, no, Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> and I'm like, but but you haven't created it. Are you all right? Like, that's it's an RPG. And he's like, well, not only is it going to be an RPG, but when you collect the Black Box games in the game... You take the game into your house in the game, and you play a mini game based on it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, okay. And he's like, I was like, well, when will you have it done by? And he's like, November, no problem. It'll take me a couple months. It'll be done in November. I programmed the Mad Wizard in like a weekend, which the Mad Wizard, another obscure one, is one of the best homebrew games. You literally levitate as a wizard, and it's a, it's a platforming game. We can talk about it more if anybody's interested, mm-hmm. like, after I finish the Black Box store. Um, so anyways, like, he's like, yeah, I programmed that in a week. I can do it in six months. So I'm like, okay, I know what scope creep is. I know when people decide to do something crazy and it gets out of control. I'm like, well, I'll put a year on it. So I'll put, like, April 2016. <laughs> and the game was just finished last week. <laughs> a year late uh, but it's an RPG that you collect video games like uh, Mystic Searches to put things into perspective was really, well, the, that Kickstarter was done like six months before mine started mm-hmm. then it's still programming it the games take forever when you're working on it at that level right. so, so I played it and it's freaking amazing wow. the game is literally like a classic RPG he decided to be the first game to ever put four way scrolling in it like, all on the same screen. They do tricks to make it work on the NES. He literally just used the bit to do it. The problem is, and why it took this long, is he could not test the game for over a year because no emulators, that bit that you turn on, the, emu- the emulators, because nobody's ever done it, use it for something else. So he couldn't test it. So he literally had to take the game, compile it on the NES cartridge, every time he made a minute change oh, to the wow. code. That's he was like, dude, this is like, it, it can't work. It can't happen. Solar chips are all, for, are all solar, so that's kind of, yeah. of mind-blowing. So, like, that's literally why it took him so long. He was getting really frustrated. And, you know, if you're doing, building something, making something new, doing a YouTube video, writing, if you get disheartened, it's tough to stay motivated totally. programming every day. It is really tough. So that's where he was getting at. And I'm like, luckily, one of the guys, he knew one of the guys that worked on one of the emulators, and they made him a specific emulator for his unique mapper and scrolling, and he was able to do it all. Wow. Um, so I played it last week right before I flew out here. I played it for like 15 minutes. And it's awesome. He does this crazy text scrolling, like freaking Star Wars at the beginning. And then um, you get into it, and like literally... You go outside and you can't speak to anybody. He's too shy to speak to people. I'm like, what the heck do I do? I figure it out. I don't even know. <laughs> like, he didn't wow. tell me, and I'm not going to ask. That's cool. And there's no, obviously, there's no game ethic used for it. So guess what? You're back to old school NES with this game because there are no guides for this. 
Um, I might actually do a strategy guide book in the future, like just to have something really cool for it. But like, it's it's literally like that. So I wandered into the basement in the game. As you can see, stairs. I went down to the basement, and uh, there's a box. I clicked it. It's like, oh, found Urban Champion. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so I took it. Went up to the TV up in the living room. You sit down, and it shows the freaking old school CRT, and you get to play Urban Champion. It's literally just the two guys though, and it's like kind of like. Uh, four, he does a 4K series of games where it's like really simplistic graphics, but the but the actual controls are on point. Right. So wow. you literally just got to punch the guy until he falls in the manhole, just like the original. I actually played better than the original, which is hilarious. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. That's and awesome. so you got to knock him in once. I knocked him in and it says, learn to uppercut. After I did it. So I unlocked the ability of uppercut by playing the game. So So you have to take the game... Play it in your house in the game, and then you unlock abilities in the RPG that you can utilize to find and collect more games and beat the crap out of resellers. <laughs> and he's covering all of the black box? Games? He has every black box wow. game in there. Um, I'm <laughs> Dude, it's... If it only really worked that way. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta hunt everywhere. In the basements and everything. Awesome. So, the one thing that's interesting is, is that um, Sly Dog, they beta test their own games. They don't actually branch it out to the community. Some homebrew game developers do that. And then people test it. So, my interesting, interesting thing is, I'm OCD. So, the game, it was easy to knock the guy into the manhole cover. and I could, It's just timing, like kind of like punch out to, to knock the guy in every time. So I'm like, well, how many, how many times can I do it? Because it keeps score, it saves your score. <laughs> so I went and I did it as many times as I, I got over 100. And, and, then, and then it went to two exclamations. So he, he anticipated people oh, wow. like me. Now, the interesting aspect is, is later on in the game, there's a schoolyard bully. And he's like, you can't beat my score. It's like basically Thor Ackerman that you'll see running around. You can't beat my score. <laughs> and then he gives you, and then later on in the game, it'll put it on your CRT, like his score. And you got to try to beat his score. Now the question is, did he anticipate somebody like me going in OCD and just maxing out the score before you meet that bully? Mm. And like, do you already unlock? Because he'll give you like a reward or something, I think, when you beat him. I don't know. I haven't gotten to him yet. I can't even talk to people in the game, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> like, it's interesting. So, so you're like, working on some achievements. Which yes, mean, achievements built in. How often do you see that on an NES game? And because the jerk of me got the manual and box actually done last year. Uh, he has to he had to make it very intuitive in the game, so you don't need a manual to play it. Everything is explained through text and how you play, and it's very interactive. It teaches you how to play little by little, like they used to do back in the day. Everything feels like an old school game. Uh, it's super cool. I, it's going to be awesome. Like, and I released it on Kickstarter. Once I fulfill the backer ones, I'll have extra copies, and it'll be up on HagensAlley.com. And I'll probably post them on social media and all that fun jazz. And then if people want it beyond that, I'll I'll commission and get more made. Like it'll yeah. just be I'll fulfill it. I don't want any of my stuff to be limited. What I do is I do so limited edition runs would be like the guy that does tailgate party that has the bags and does these mm -hmm. custom stuff that take a lot of work. What I'll do is premium. So anybody see Moto's glass out here with all his crazy neon and glassware? Um, I contacted him when I saw his NES snifter box thing, and I saw it at Portland. I was with him. I was like, hey, dude, I need that for a game release. Like, So I did the best of NES homebrew, but I'm like, well, what if I get a box that goes around an NES CIB? Mm -hmm. 
And so he, he, he sent me a demo, like his box guy, and it literally fits an NES CIB inside of it. It's a wooden box that's laser etched, just like his laser etching, with the artwork from that game, yeah. laser etched. So I do premium releases. And I'll do as many as people are interested in doing it, because I want everybody, everybody to be able to not only experience it, but if you want to collect it, cool. Like, like the value of it is what we make of it. Let's make it cool. Yeah. Eventually, like, those people won't be able to do them anymore, and then it's done. Right. Until then, like, people want stuff. Stuff's cool. Let's make mm -hmm. it cool. And so the cool thing is, is that... Um, I released a homebrew uh, VGBS video game bullshit season one, and because we were thinking about a way to pay for the website for the year and everything, so we put a synopsis of the podcast every episode on an NES cartridge that you can read, and this is the backbone of a book series I'm working later, and paperback books in this wooden premium box fit right behind the CIB. So if I did a paperback book release, it fits in there. So I could do a premium release of this idea. So has anybody heard of Choose Your Own Adventure books back in the day? Yeah. And has anybody ever heard of the Worlds of Power series? Oh, yeah. So Worlds of Power was literally, uh, was it about 10 books or 12 books? 10? I have them all. But like there's a Mega Man 2 book. There's a Blaster Master book. There's a Ninja Gaiden book. There's a, there's a Bases Loaded book, second season. <laughs> like, but they literally retell in a weird way that's completely fiction, a weird way, um, the story of those games. The Blaster Master one, they utilized some of the stuff from the Worlds of Power book in Blaster Master Zero that was re-released. Oh, wow. Some of that backbone of the story was in the book. Because I had the book as a kid. That was yeah. the one I had was Blaster Master. And I knew that there was other ones out there because it's in the back. I think they did a Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest book as well. You need to knock out that uh, black box challenge uh, strategy guide and put it back there. I could do that. Bam. Yeah, that's <laughs> one thing. But what about a choose your own adventure series based upon the worlds of power format that I cover indie games? Oh, wow. Not even necessarily NES homebrew, but indie games in general. If somebody wanted to shovel that one, I could do it. And then not only that, but I have a program, a game already created where I already know how to put text and you can choose options, aka a choose your own adventure book on an NES cartridge. Oh, wow. A simultaneous release of Shovel Knight and a playable version of it where you can interact with it on a cartridge as well. So that's gonna happen. I mean, obviously I'm doing these crazy giant books, that's my current focus, and I'm be going to Genesis next. Uh, but it's like, after I do a definitive Super Nintendo, because I gotta get Super Famicom in it, I want more obscurities. Uh, but, like, literally, I'm going to start working on that those series wow. as well. And that'll be a really, really cool aspect. So then anything is... The sky's the limit. Like, yeah. it's, it's like, like that concept in, engine. It's like that concept in Big, you know, when he's like, dude, the interactive uh, comic book. Mm -hmm. Remember Big? Mm -hmm. That was, like, his big sale at the end. I mean, that's what you're going to be doing, but on but, the NES. Yeah, literally. Awesome. And then the premium edition will come in a wooden box. Yeah. And you can actually have the paperback that's going to be the same size as the World of Power books. The, the original release, not the thicker ones. The bigger ones that they did. They did two bigger ones later. Um, some good. Yeah. Just, just give me a run for my money. Yeah. <laughs> Got to work on your. Got to work on your chops. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah. So that's the idea going going into the future. Is I'm going to do something like that. That'll probably be a couple years down the line. But basically, I'll just I, I pen it in notepads and stuff. All the stories. Um, I was going to do black box challenges. The first choose your own adventure. But then I'm like, well. Henshin Engine is going to be doing an NES port. We could do like a, by the time I finish that and they finish that, it might be a good time to cross the streams. And has, then, has he told you the, the backstory on that, like the story of the game? Because he gave me like a 10 minute rundown of the story of the game. It is, 
I get told him like he has like something he can even make a show out of yeah. because the story mm-hmm. is so cool on that game. And and that's why I want to do then, that as the yeah. SD. And then I'm gonna and then of course I'm gonna get creative and make it fiction crazy like the world's power books. Yeah. I mean, I, and the thing is, I want to be nostalgic as possible. With everything I'm doing, I'm trying to hit nostalgia. So, like, for example, uh, when I do, I'm going to do a definitive version because my I use a new printing company and the quality in this is, like, way beyond my previous releases. And so when I do that, I'm like, I'm gonna, what if I do the NES license one, one game per page and make it look like Nintendo Power in the background? Like, yeah. <laughs> why not? <laughs> it would be 800 pages at that point, but it should be insane. Maybe I just do two per page and it's 500 pages. That'd be something cool. Those goosebumps. Yeah. Make it different, man. Um, my uh, Hidden Gaming Gems, which was my first book I had released was Hidden Treasures. I met a guy who did artwork for Heroes of Might and Magic back in the day. And he did a piece from 94 that was the predecessor. And he has an art book that was funded on Kickstarter. He's an artist. And he used to pose for the stuff. So he is Powerblade. Yeah. It's him. It's like Mark Eskerson. Something. No. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Mark. Mark. And he's oh, Mike Winterbottom. Mike Winterbottom. Mark Eskerson is the guy. Because Mark Eskerson is also doing a cover for me in my Genesis book. Mike Winterbottom yeah. is doing my um, is doing Hidden Gaming Gems. But it's like, literally he did that in 1994. It has nothing to do with video games. It's like a fantasy piece. Now, have you ever played the big, or have you ever read the big book of Nintendo games? No. It was released in the 90s, and it has this crazy artwork of this Robotop, Robotech-looking helmet with a weird-looking fake lightsaber fighting this weird dragon, like, it's nothing to do with video games. It's big book of Nintendo games. And those <laughs> are the classic books I remember, is you had this crazy art that had nothing to do with the games that kind of, kind of correlated with it. And uh, one of the hidden gaming gems that I talk about in there is called Knight and Grail uh, for the Commodore 64. Has anybody heard of Knight and Grail? It is an awesome game. I have a Commodore. Yeah. It's back up in Michigan, and I never had a chance to play it, so I actually have a copy, but I've never touched it. <laughs> Did you get the cart copy or the disc copy? I've only got the disc copy. Yeah, I want the cart copy as well. I have the disc copy. And it's really cool because they do a whole comprehensive release like on disc with a almost like a CD-style case that goes around it. And Nine Grail is a, um, a platforming game. And yes, they get off the path and go off to other consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, Night and Grail is a platforming game, but you only have an Atari joystick on the Commodore. So, like, but they have a unique way where you can press the space bar to switch out your different weapons. And oh, everything's wow. color-based, so it's like rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. There's five. There's five. Uh, there's five different colors, and each one correlates to damage other different enemies, and then one won't even hurt it, and the other That's ones cool. do less damage. And you go through, and it's like Metroid-style game, and it plays amazing. It's like, oh my! It's when you play it, you're gonna be like, wow, this is an excellent wow. game. And I went through, and I actually beat the game because it has good, unique checkpoints in it too that you can go through. Um, but yeah, that's just the example. Like, and there will never be a complete Commodore game book. And you know why? Why wouldn't there? Why wouldn't there be a complete Commodore book? Not sure. Hmm? Too many. Yeah, there's two thousand A games. <laughs> like, there's, wow. I think there's over thirty thousand games released. Like, you know, I would say the Nintendo homebrew scene, right? They never stopped programming from the Commodore from the eighties. Oh, yeah. They've been programming every year, nonstop. That's where a lot of the people that program later learned to program on the NES or Super Nintendo and stuff was on the Commodore. Like, they, we all taught ourselves like right. to do that craziness. I mean, they set it up. Yeah. To do that. 
So it, that's infinite. So I, if I do a Commodore book, it would be like a highlight of all the cool, weird games and the best of type thing. There's no way in heck I'm going to do a 6,000-page book, man, on the Commodore. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. It would be like a whole series. You'd have to just A, B, C. Exactly. <laughs> so, Obscure NES, you got one? Um, I mean... Or anybody else got one? Homebrews, I mean, the that new that Legend of Aulia... Legend of Alia, Legend of Alia, and they kind of did it. As legends of Alia, legends. Sorry, (laughs) and they, you know, and it's like the same what you're saying. The the experience is all new, and they were really adamant on the forums, like don't spoil anything. And there's still like a so, spot I'm stuck so, on. Some, some yeah, jerk like, posted the, the final screen. That was me. Oh, it's <laughs> hey, oops. Um, so Legends of Valia is a Legend of Zelda style mm-hmm. game. Um, it changes it. It's a little more linear than I would have liked because each world is its own world. And then so like so world one you go through, you be once you beat the boss, you can never go back to world one again. Mm. Um, the thing why it's hard to beat is because there's some hints throughout the game that are necessary to get through the final level and there's some puzzles that you don't know if you don't actually talk to the right people in the right. earlier levels you won't know and you can't go back and talk to them so and it literally is like from you know back in the day when you were just going and like punching every wall like yeah. oh sh- I found something so I literally <laughs> some of the puzzles later I do what's called brute force just knock it out so it's like you have to do these color patterns and certain color pattern that the guy would have told you if I would have talked to the guy that I didn't talk to I would have got through the level I was just like alright red, blue, blue yellow, red, blue, yellow yellow, red, blue, red like I went through every single pattern possible and I got through I'm like I'm done get out of there and I'm like I'm never going back and playing this until I actually read everything Yeah. I'm like do you need a strategy guide that's why I asked I'm like, I, to, I need to make a strategy guide for that game but it's a short palatable, palatable game but it rivals something that would be on the NES that's for sure and it's, it's got some cool. cool gameplay with that you, you have an owl and you, mm-hmm. you throw the owl and it comes back to like a boomerang kind of setup but yeah. it does different you know it attacks picks things up and exactly. kind of a, a you know an element you haven't really seen or in that sense you know exactly so what about games you have heard of that you didn't realize were on the Nintendo some good ones um, so this first one Space Invaders was released on the, and these are all on the Famicom like when I was doing the Famicom research I'm like holy crap there's a lot of arcade ports that were just not brought over here so Space Invaders is available I didn't know that on the, on the Famicom Galaxian is available on the Famicom. Mm-hmm. Um, the original Goonies 1, because Goonies 2 is on the NES. Goonies right. 1 is on the Famicom. It's also on the Versus Arcade and PlayChoice 10 as mm-hmm. well, which were released in the US. They have that here. One huh? of them, they have it here. Yeah, and that game's awesome. Yeah. Like, if you actually play the original Goonies, it is an awesome, palatable, like little arcade style game. It, there is a, a spot in the game where in each level actually where if you hit certain spots it'll pop up an item and those items are useful for you later cool. so literally if you know where all those items are you can be invincible near the end of the game <laughs> like you, no none can hurt you yeah none can hurt you wow. and there's like these super jumps and there's extra stuff so it is a very cool game that's kind of like super metroid-esque where you unlock things but it's still very linear and you have time limit that you have to beat each level by. You have to you have to know where to go. Still, yep. Yeah. Which is really awesome. It's it's literally one of the the unsung gems on the Famicom that never got ported here. And I have no clue why. Like we got Goonies two that would, they ended up making a very crazy, and then they went very nonlinear. Right. <laughs> like, and it'd be such a huge franchise too. It's like Labyrinth. 
like we never saw Labyrinth here. Labyrinth, you're Labyrinth. Labyrinth is a pretty trippy game, you know. David Bowie's there. Yeah, you know, it's got it's yeah. the, all the Labyrinth elements are in there, you know. And exactly. Um, yeah, and there's so there's a ton of arcade ports that were available that you just like, holy crap, that was released here. Um, one of the classic ones, we got 3D World Runner, right? What about the? What's it based off of? What's 3D World Runner based off of? Space hair. This is space hair. There is a space harrier released on the Famicom. I didn't know. That. And it is excellent. Is it? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much flashy. There's so much flash and everything. It's there's a reason why they didn't port that oh, one. Okay. And I guarantee you, licensing or other reasons. There's a reason why we didn't get this stuff in the states. But right. sometimes it baffles me when you think of games that are less obscure, like. Splatterhouse, Wampaku Graffiti, and Kid Dracula that literally have these cartoon aspects and they're platformers based on classic franchises now that are amazing. Right. And it's like, why weren't those brought over here? Like, they would have been bestsellers. They would have, like, shaped our childhood. And we didn't get them. It's craziness is what it is, man. I mean, bridging that culture, you know, like what you're doing, you know, showing the games that we could play without, you know... With, without no knowing Japanese, that's you in know, this that's book. Cute. So I didn't do every Famicom game. I got rid of all the ones that I was tired of finding at the conventions here, where it's like, all right, get it home, and it's an RPG. It's you know the card only ones. If you have the box, you can look at the the screenshot. So with mine, I went through all what was it fourteen hundred plus Famicom games, played them all, and I'm like, all right, this one's cool, this one's not, this one's cool, this one's not. And it was, and then I do no repeats either. So I didn't do any repeat experience. All new experiences. And I do PAL first, so if it's available, like Gimmick, Mr. Gimmick, Mr. Gimmick's the one. Or New Ghostbusters 2, New Ghostbusters 2 is the one. You know, yeah, those are some of the sure. gems. What about Legend of Prince Valiant? Have you heard of that one? Yeah. So that's a classic PAL, PAL exclusive, where, you know, it's just another cool little adventure game that we never got here. Right. Um, Banana Prince, that's another one. <laughs> that one's pretty obscure, and that one's a, a platforming game where you're this little... Little like Tarzan looking dude, and then you can like plant this like little banana, and apparently it grows into a vine. You can climb up and like it's <laughs> 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 yeah, Will, sir, let's get with the uh, the engineer in me. No, <laughs> like, no idea. Let me check the time because I don't want getting dirty looks from the people. She was already coming in looking at me. I'm already at an hour. That's good. See, so um, you have any games that you've heard of that might stump me? Perhaps because. No, I'm not going to take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, if anything, I'm going to be over in the middle of the convention. I got the big old Higgins Halley book stand. Um, my next project that I'm working on. So, first off, the NES Oddities and the Homebrew Evolution is available. It's also on Amazon now, too. Um, and it will be in Barnes & Noble hopefully soon. They're, they told me they're picking it up. We'll see. Um, I'm not modifying the prices or anything though because it does. I would have to pay for to sell a book at Barnes and Noble. That's insane. Pay out of pocket. Um, but the Nintendo Entertainment System Compendium is in printing right now. It's shipping overseas. They have to literally ship it on a uh, an actual freighter to get here. Um, so because it's like. 10 tons of books or something ridiculous. Um, so that's coming. That is our history, though. So people that contributed to the Kickstarter wrote the stories, if they didn't put it in the comments. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. um, and as well as people from all around the community that create content, writers, some YouTube personalities that are, you know, they do their own thing, too, and they're passionate. Got them in there, like, you know, 
John Riggs yeah. and a bunch of crazy people too. That's They're cool. awesome. Um, and I do that, so that'll be there. And I'm currently working on the Super Famicom games that don't require Japanese to add to my super my complete SNES book. The complete SNES is already 500 pages. It's out of print. Uh, when I put it back in, I'm putting it back in with this paper quality and all full glossy bookmark ribbon and all that madness. It'll be about 630, 630 pages when I get done. Um, if I had a stretch goal, it's going to be bigger because then I'm like, well, what about bootlegs? What about this? I could always add more. Right. So one thing, you could always stump me. You know what's in here that I didn't put in there that's an oddity? That you know about the hotel release games, the hotel box games that were released in Japan? There are these, there are these like bluish cartridges with yellow labels. They were kind of done by Hudson Soft. They were done as a rental system. It's kind of like an M82 demo unit almost, but you have to pay money to play it in a hotel. And those cartridges, I don't have a, a, a list of those. They're not unique experiences at all. They're all re-releases, but that would be a cool collect grail collectible that I could have added. There's always more that you can add. That's the cool thing. That's the passionate thing, too, that I have about it in the homebrew stuff is that there's always new stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Um, so thanks, everybody. If you have any questions, I'll be around. We can, we can hang out, talk about games. I love talking about uh, and BSing about stuff. I mean, we were just up BSing, not even yeah. drinking last night, no. just shooting the shit. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for coming. Appreciate it. And come check out the Goofy Foot setup we're going to have at the... Definitely participate in the Goofy Foot tournament out there. We're getting something set up over here. At the I'm making him World give away TV. something. I don't know what it is. He's giving away something. <laughs>